This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Amy Frazier, the founder of OK Real, as we chat all about things community building. When I first thought of bringing this theme to the podcast, the immediate person that came to mind was Amy. As you'll hear in this episode, Amy has a true knack and superpower for connecting people together. And entering her sphere is truly magnetic. I've had the privilege of experiencing it myself, and I thought, why not bring this magic to the episode today? Back in 2014, Amy launched OK Real as a way to start collecting and sharing the stories of the women she looked up to, her entire mission being to share the curation of wisdom by strong and smart women. Amy's fireside chats with the likes of Elaine Welteroth from Teen Vogue filled rooms across New York, San Francisco, and New Zealand, and eventually evolved into intimate mentor circles both digitally and IRL all in the effort of establishing connections, sharing stories, building upon ideas, and ultimately feeling less alone. On this episode, Amy shares with Bedside her journey of building OK Real and what that looked like, how shit got real for her in 2017, and when she realized the power behind what she'd been building all along. It's a wild story. We also get to chatting about building intentional and meaningful communities of our own. Most importantly, what it means to be a connector, not a gatekeeper to be someone willing to share their wisdom, insights, and networks, and how we can go about facilitating magnetic connections and communities. You guys are going to love this episode. My one takeaway from everybody listening to this episode is if we can all learn to tap into more of our connecting abilities, it's going to make not only our lives, but the lives of our communities at large so incredible. I hope that you love this episode. Please give Amy a warm welcome to the Bedside Podcast. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Bedside Podcast. I'm beyond excited to have you here, and it's kind of been a long time coming. Hi, Tatiana. I know we have known each other for a few years now in different ways, and we keep reconvening on the internet in different ways as well. And now I'm here. I'm honored. I'm I'm so happy to have you here. You've been such a great part of even just the growth of Bedside and kind of the behind the scenes. For those who aren't aware, I'd kind of love for you to explain who you are a bit, what you currently do, and kind of like a quick level of like how you got here. All right. Well, apologies in advance for my voice. I was just explaining to Tatiana that I have had a bit of a cold. So if you hear that, that's what that is. It's not COVID, thank God. But 
Who am I? Well, you gave a little bit of an introduction and by the way of OK Real and by the way of New York. Um, I'm originally from New Zealand. That's where I am right now. Uh, it's where I grew up. It's where I currently live. But I landed in New York as a very green 21-year-old, 22-year-old, a long time ago. And I was really blown away by the caliber of women I was surrounded by. And I was really blown away by the multitude of um, careers and the vastness of their lives that they'd created. And I hadn't really seen that in my country. New Zealand is a very small place. And at the time you could go to university and study communications as I did, and then go into kind of advertising or PR. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't really, that, that word wasn't in my vocabulary. Um, I just knew I wanted something more. So I found myself in New York. I worked in branding agencies and I worked as an artist for a while and I kind of did a few things over there and then started um, what was really just a humble website in which I interviewed women about how they had gotten to where they were and really, you know, kind of dove deep into their challenges and their dreams and how, how they had arrived at this kind of beautiful life that they'd created and what that meant to them and all the different ways that you could do that. And that is how my business started, which I then went on to call OK Real. I built that out to be a business that kind of took that interview structure into real life where we would partner with brands who wanted to cultivate community, um, who wanted to champion women because women became very popular in around 2014. So that's what we did. We worked with a number of different companies who wanted to do that. We would host panels and events that then um, trickled down to mentorship because I would see these women in the crowds of the events that we would host and they were all starting to form connections. And that was actually where the real value was. So we took kind of that magic that was already happening and started these small mentorship circles. And we did that you know, every weekend for years throughout New York, LA, San Francisco, that then led on to career coaching. And so I got into kind of the, the coaching space as well. Um, so, you know, OK Real was really kind of thriving and um, we never had investment. It was really built from the ground up. They had a really incredible team of about five or six women. And I was pregnant in 2017 and had a bit of a personal uh, life explosion, if you will. And that, that saw me travel back to New Zealand quite unexpectedly as a single mother, had my first child, continued to travel back and forth to New York from New Zealand, which was, <laughs> now that I look back, a very interesting, like, I actually have no idea how I did that now that I have two kids. Uh, and then COVID happened. And so that really kind of shook what I had built. You know, my business relied on international travel and gathering in groups, both of which became um, impossible overnight. So from there, I have really branched out as um, kind of a consultant, I'd say. So I, I still am able to kind of leverage that OK Real brand name. Um, we have a really great community and I've built some really great relationships and a fantastic network from, from that business. But in terms of how I operate now, I have the pleasure of working with um, really wonderful companies who have similar missions to what I had with OK Real, one of which is DM, um, which is this fantastic um, 
social search engine that we're building for women to crowdsource knowledge. And so now I do a range of the things that I was doing before. I do kind of digital live events um, for OK Real for a number of different clients. I consult with companies. I still do career coaching and I'm a mother of two. And that's Amy, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay. I I mean, for anybody listening, Amy is, if you didn't already gather from her explanation, she is a powerhouse and she's being so humble right now. Back in the day in New York, she would be interviewing Elaine Welteroff, the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, she, lines would be out the door around the block. Women would be like, what is going on? What are you waiting for? They'd tack on in line. The line would get even longer. The room would be packed to the brim. I mean, you just crushed it. Like, it was like electric. And it was so cool that you took that energy of what was happening in a room and then transferred it into smaller moments and these mentor circles that Amy was hosting it was so cool you'd go to the website and there would be monthly topics and it would be about anything from startups to mental health to whatever the theme was for the month and people would sign up and they would be let in and you'd have these really intimate powwows with women where you'd just throw spaghetti on the wall, shoot the shit in a, in a constructive way and everybody would walk away with these amazing like community networks but also kind of like agenda items for for their next step. And it was just, it was so electric, Amy. Like I just like want to just like go back. Like that was amazing. <laughs> this is really, really wonderful for my ego. Um <laughs> I truly appreciate you saying that. It was a really special time in my life. I'm I'm really excited to like tap into this concept of community building because I think it's something that so many people strive for. It's it's, you know, people want to feel connected, they want to feel seen, they want to feel heard, they want to feel a part of something. I guess what I'm curious to know is what was that you were seeing back in the day? What was the community gathering that you felt what was the need around the community gathering I think that women really benefit from being surrounded by other women who are there to support them and that might sound really rudimentary but it was it was the key or it was the kernel to kind of making those to what made those events really special and I think the operative word there is women who are looking to support one another and women who are also on kind of a similar playing field. The beauty of New York is that you have so many people who are ambitious, intelligent, um, ready to help somebody else out. And there's a real reciprocity in the way that people work over there. And I think being from New Zealand, I just had never witnessed that before culturally it's very different here and so for me to be surrounded by that and be like oh my god like this is so special this is actually I don't don't think people realize how special this is what if you could you know gather these people and I think what OK Real did or what I did from the get-go was when I was doing these interviews with women I knew I was really young you know I was in my mid-20s I didn't want to build this brand with like my face at the forefront and I think at the time everybody was doing the opposite. It was very much like street style blogger, like Garant Store and like, you know, all of these kind of fashion people who they were the forefront of their brand. But I didn't want that. 
at the time. And so I let the world of OK Real be built by people who were smarter than me, who knew more, who had better connections, who were more worldly. And then that gave the entire brand this kind of like big sister feel. It wasn't like, hi, I'm like this 25-year-old entrepreneur. I'm like starting this thing. I didn't want that. And so I think that gave it like a nice, a nice, like comfortable feel, like an approachable vibe. And then in terms of um, the need that people had, I think there's always, you know, just inherently we have a need for connection. And I think there's also something really special about women who are not necessarily your best friends. They're not your colleagues, but that gray space in the middle where there's so much power and there's so much opportunity. And so I think that was the space that I was really interested in. Like, how can you bring a woman who wouldn't have met otherwise? I mean, the first job I ever got in New York was somebody who I met at a party and she was an Australian. She was a designer and she was like, oh, there's this agency that they're looking for a project manager. And I don't think I ever saw her again, but we had this brief encounter and it was really great. And we were kind of like, ah, and it was that magic, that, that energy that I wanted to capture. So I think that everybody knows what that feeling is like. And so that is the need to kind of synthesize that experience which is what we were able to do. Mm. That's really interesting. I've never really thought of it that way, being like, you know, you think of your circle of connections being a lot more intimate, but I think we often forget about that gray zone of like, well, you know, maybe they're not someone you're calling every day or maybe they're not even someone you're calling a friend. But, you know, are you guys, you know, mutually respecting of one another, compassionate for one another and willing to help one another out? The gray zone is where the magic happens. And I think that, again, always take the meeting, always reach out to the person, always, you know, that was something that, again, the beauty of New York, you can do that so fluently. Um, I think even in LA, it's harder because that, you know, just like the geographical difference. And then in New Zealand, well, like three people live here and I'm one of them. And so that becomes difficult too. But I think that that was just the energy that I really thrived off of. I was like, there are so many incredible people here. Why not reach out to that person? Or Yeah, yeah. I love it. And I mean, I think you saw New York with such a new lens being someone from out of the country who was like, whoa, this is not, it wasn't culture that you were familiar with. So you almost harnessed it and just ran with it and made it even more electric than it already was. Like every great thing I've ever done has been because of another woman, you know, like the opportunities that I've been afforded. I mean, men, you know, it's just a different woman, are very altruistic in that way. And if I pinpoint all of the really great opportunities, and I'm not saying that that's for everybody, but I've had some really great woman bosses. I've had some really great, you know, so that's been my experience. And so I wanted to kind of replicate that. So yeah, harnessing it was exactly the accidental plan. So kind of backtracking a bit, you said in 2017, shit got real. My life as I knew it shattered unexpectedly. And I was forced to put my own beliefs into practice, rebuilding my life from the philosophies that the women of OK Real had shared with me over the years. What changed for you at this time? When, as I mentioned before, I, it was 2017, the business was like on the precipice of like, I was like turning a profit. It was, you know, I was really excited about all of the hard work that I've put in, that I had put in and um, I was pregnant. So I'd been married for about eight years, seven or eight years at that point. And I was five months pregnant with a planned baby 
And I discovered that my husband at the time had actually multiple different lives with different women around the world. And this information was delivered to me through a text message from one of his girlfriends. It was just a regular September day in New York. And I got this news. And then that kind of started this domino effect um, because I was very public about this knowledge um, of other women reaching out to me, um, other stories coming to me. So this was obviously not the best news to find out at five months pregnant. Um, but it really, I mean, it, it kind of catapulted me into this next phase of my life, which was being a single mother. I instantly knew, you know, people say, well, how did you make the choice to leave? But to me, it was never a choice. It was, it was really an equation. Uh, it was the extent of it was so brutal and the way that it was handled and the response that I got from him at the time. And it, it was just very clear that it wasn't, there was no way that I, that, that was going to last. So, um, so no, immediately I was like, all right, I'm worth a lot more than this. And so was my child. And so I packed up and left. I went to, I <laughs> was probably the worst week. Naturally I had um, a few events in New York that I had to present pregnant with this news. And then I had a few events in San Francisco a few days later. So it was a whole thing. And I came back home. I came back to New Zealand. My mother actually came and helped me. And um, I went back to New Zealand, kind of indefinitely, not really sure what I was doing. We had always planned to have the baby in New Zealand anyway. So it wasn't as if I was entirely um, absconding, but I went back a lot earlier than I would have. Um, to have the baby, which was part of the plan. Um, but I just, yeah, I went back early and I went back alone um, or with my mother. So that landed me in New Zealand. And to get a clear picture of what that was like, I mean, I went from living, you know, a very New York lifestyle to living in the spare bedroom at my parents' home in a tiny suburb in Auckland, New Zealand, being like, what the fuck? Like what just happened? Like my business is there. My home is there. All my shit's there. But I've got a baby growing inside of me. Like wh what, what do I do? That again, as I said, that was a very, that was a new chapter. <laughs> yeah. New page turned. Yeah. You said that, you know, you had leaned at this time on the philosophies of the women at OK Real and what they'd shared with you and I'm curious to know what were those messages or what was that light at the end of the tunnel that you held for yourself through this time, you know? You know, I'd spent these years building this community of women and who really leant on each other and built themselves through each other. And I mean, this, the, and I knew that for a fact, you know, the stories and like all of the lives that had been changed and, and all of that through not because of OK Real, but they might have heard something or come to one of our events and then met somebody. And um, and as you said, it was it was electric. Like it really felt like something really special at the time. And I always thought that I was building something for them. And then this happened to me and it was like, oh, all of that time, they were actually for me because everything that I'd been talking about with these women you know, all of these kind of motivational, you know, on Instagram, they might look like a platitude, like a motivational quote, but so much of what I'd pulled from their stories about their challenges, about 
what they'd been through about how they'd overcome things like all of that knowledge that I didn't even realize um but had like somehow sunk into me it gave me this strength that I don't even think I consciously had to tap into it was just like oh wow like I and and a huge part of that was that that the strength in in woman had really formed my identity and so all of the stories that I'd, you know, heard from them, they all, you know, things stick with you. Um, a lot of what we talk about, what we talk about in OK Real is, you know, elements of resilience, themes of determination, and also just the courage to decide who you are and not let anybody take that away from you. And really owning that sense of agency. And so this was a moment where I could have said, this determines my worth, this determines my trajectory, this determines my future choices. And at that point, I was so vulnerable. I was in the corner of the world. I was pregnant. And I could have very easily let that moment define me in a different way. But I chose something else. And so, and that opportunity is always there. Um, And I also just had the most incredible influx of support. You know, I'd done this mentorship circle in San Francisco. I hadn't told any of the women that I was going through this. And, um, they obviously found out and sent me a care package from San Francisco with like books for my kid and, you know, books that I still read to my children today. I really was able to witness the power of the community that I'd always um, kind of talked about. And yet here I was experiencing it in real time. Oh my God. I have like chills from this entire story. Um, you know, I think a lot of the time we look at community building in this way of I don't want to say advancement but you know I think a lot of people build community being like how can they mirror the greatness that I see in myself and that I see in them and you know how can we be beautiful mirrors and windows for one another and you know I'm thinking back to the electric gatherings you would have right but then there's the other side of it that we that happens behind closed doors which is the people who hold you up when you know you can't hold up yourself completely or you are at a moment where you just need that extra support and I think that's kind of the unsung hero I yeah I absolutely got to interview some high profile people that I've had the privilege of doing you know talks with have been amazing but it's really as you say the people in the crowd who are making those connections and kind of forming the body of that community they're really important you know, I see you and and you've been such an amazing kind of role model even in my own community building because I remember when I was first introduced to you, like you're the type of person who introduces and connects so many people together. And the coolest thing is, you know, there have been a handful of times I've shot you an email being like, hey, do you know a person who does this? And you're like, yep, I've got a few gals. And you'll immediately kick off an intro email and there we go. And I just think that is the coolest thing. And it has taught me to be that type of person too. And it's 
given this ripple effect and what's amazing is I'll get on these calls with these women and they'll be like, how do you know Amy? And we'll have this like five minute powwow about how we know Amy. But the point is that we all have adopted this mindset of being connectors. So I kind of want to talk about really the importance of being a connector and almost in comparison to what a lot of us have been trained around. And I I almost want to say it's a bit gendered, which is gatekeeping, right? Like, feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to hold on to these resources. I can't share this information. This is too valuable. I don't want to give it up. And so, you know, you are the complete opposite of that. And I I really would love to get your perspective on the matter between like being a gatekeeper versus being a connector. I just so love hearing that, that there's like that ripple effect, um, because that's really what it's all about. And I've never actually, and this is a great question because I've never heard it put in plain terms like that, like connector versus gatekeeper. I've never seen the point and and I'm very aware that gatekeeping, and I think it is gendered because of the whole, like there's only a few women can get to the top. Therefore you need to trample all the others because there's only like one place. Blah, blah, blah. Um, that's just such a, that's such an antiquated, boring, preventative mentality. It doesn't help anybody. And I don't know if it's because I really needed help in the beginning. I know what it's like to not know anybody, to have to ask for help for people who you think are more superior to you, or who you think are more connected to you. And I know what it's like to need others. And there's nothing better than reaching out to somebody whose help you need and them saying, of course, nothing more validating than that. And so I know how validating that has felt for me. And so if I can do that for somebody else, it's a no brainer. So my inclination to help other women is probably not some, you know, noble characteristic that I have been blessed with. It's far more likely that I have learned it, that it is learned behavior from women who have done it for me. And therein lies the ripple effect. And I think in terms of choosing to be one or the other, it's quite a, it's quite a simple equation. If you look at what one gets you versus what one, you know, being a gatekeeper, you are operating from like a scarcity mindset where there's limited amounts of opportunity, that there is a limited amount of niceness that there is a limited amount of people who are going to help you and that you're assuming that people are out to get you. And that is an exhausting way to live. It's very true that some people aren't going to help you. It's very true that you aren't always going to get a reply, but you can't let that deter you or shape the way that you are. You choose the way that you are. Um, what other people do in response to that is their business. And if you continue to choose, I mean, when I think about building OK Real in terms of like building it into building a financial model around it. The amount of emails that I got saying like, no, so many, you will get a lot of no replies and that sort of thing. But um, you gain so much more when you adopt that connector mindset because I have had women also come back to me like eight years later being like, hey, you connected me with this person. I'm like, really? And um, I want you to put you in touch with the CEO. You know, I've got a client who has been incredible to have. And that came through a woman who was in a mentor circle about eight years ago. It all comes back and it might not come back immediately. We also live in this time where it's like, okay, well, I did something for you. You need to do something for me next week. There's like this expectation of immediate gratification. You also have to let go of that. It's a long game. I love that piece of advice, right? Like we we are in this instant gratification world, but it's like 
Yes. I'm always reminding myself and like even as I build kind of other businesses and other ventures and like work on really, really in big dreams and projects, I always remind myself good things take time. And like we we don't always need to like have this immediate reward. Like can we let it be a slow burn. And in a way, I'm almost like happier when someone reaches out to me a couple years later, a couple of months later, and they're like, hey, you came to mind because this perfect alignment happened. And like, here's that next step. So it, it feels so um, it feels so genuine. And that what that's what feels like it establishes like a longer term dynamic almost. You know who you connected me with was Carrie Barber from Make Beauty. And um we ended up getting like a breakfast. We hit it off. And it's so funny because like I've run into her multiple times. We are now like friends. And the last time I saw her, I went to a packaging trade show and lo and behold, she's right there. And we're like, oh my God, hi. You know, we get dinner that night. We had a whole night out. Like it was so it's so cool that like what these connections can become. And isn't that amazing? And then, you know, you might do a business venture together one day or you might do. And I think looking at the picture at large, like your life is not about you. Like it's about all of the incredible things that you can do with other people and do for other people. And by doing that, by by having an act of service inherently built into the way that you operate in the world, you get so much in return. And that's not why you do it. I think that going back to that, I'm going to hook you up with like these five people. You have to put all of that good energy out without expecting anything back. You can't tie anything to it. I remember trying to get a partnership through a brand and it didn't work out. And then now that I look back, I wasn't ready to do that kind of, I I couldn't deliver. I wouldn't have been able to deliver what their expectations would have been. Three years later, I got that brand and it was four times the budget because I was able to deliver, you know? So I think just trusting, trusting that by you being a good person, you will be rewarded for that in time when you need it. I'm so with you. <laughs> the universe. You get the shit too. It doesn't, it doesn't absolve you from getting the shit kicked out of you. That's the other thing. I think like balancing it with real life, like you still, yeah, it doesn't protect you, but it does it does um it does help with some stuff. I would love to get selfishly a piece of advice from you and I think it would help listeners. But this instinct came up for me the other week. I firsthand experienced a very gatekeepy moment that I hadn't experienced in a really long time. And it kind of shocked me. It 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 made me actually have this thought and this is what I want your advice on. It turned me off so hard that I almost had this gut reaction to being like, well, I give up. I too will now be a gatekeeper. I, you know, it makes you, it made me in that moment not want to be or take the quote unquote high road and continue being a connector because it was, it shut me down so hard that I was like, well, now I want to resist this too with that same energy back. And so what, what do we do if we're met with a scenario like that? Like, what is your advice to kind of, you know, continue still being that connector, even if you encounter instances that are the opposite? Well, first of all, you need to expect that that, that those encounters will happen because they will, because you can't walk through the world 
expecting that just because you're acting in a certain way that others will too. So I think being very aware that your choice to be open and connect others and do all of that, that other people are not always going to be like that. And that's fine. That the reason for you being like that is not because you expect it from other people, because it's a way that you want to be. Secondly, when that happens, knowing that the reaction you had is totally what anybody else, how I would react to. Like just because I'm of this mindset doesn't mean that that I don't get that feeling. And I think you can compare this to any situation in life where you have been acting in a way that is, you know, aligned with your values. You've been good, honest, true, open, and somebody else hasn't been. And this is an opportunity where you can choose to become hard or you can try a lot harder to stay soft. It's really easy to become brittle. You know, it's really easy to say, oh, fuck you then. I'm just going to put up my walls and why should I have to, you know, make an effort to be open if you're going to be like this or if you're going to treat me like this and that's the way I'm going to be. And, and I think, again, that's really natural. But the real work is in seeing that and saying, okay, I'm going to be really annoyed and I'm going to be, I'm going to mirror your behavior for a few days because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm protecting myself. And this is what we do. We get hard because we think it will protect us, which is hilarious because it doesn't. And so I think that's the other thing to remember is that just because you are, you become hard and closed and you know you just end up losing it doesn't actually help you so feel feel the feelings and then choose choose the long game i think sometimes for me like i'm a, i'm a very emotional person and in order to make level-headed decisions sometimes i have to step out of that emotive state and i have to be a strategist and i say if i'm being strategic is it strategic to be a closed off bitch for my career. Is that strategic? No. Is that strategic for my relationships? Um, is that, you know, is that the best? If, if I'm a CEO making a plan for a, for a business that's going to do really well, is that the best option here? So I think if you're, if you're like that, if you're that way inclined, um, it's normal to have an emotional response, but have a strategic game plan. It's like, okay, feel your feels acknowledge the trigger, but don't let that trigger define who you are, how you want to be in this world. Don't make decisions out of that emotional state. Bad choice. Yeah. Bad choice. Bad choice. I love that advice. I also am curious to know, do you keep community hygiene? Maybe what do boundaries around your community look like? Um, I just thought of the weirdest example, but how like your kidneys have like an automatic filtering system. I think community has somewhat of a built-in filtration system also in that if there's a bad egg, they ain't going to stick around. You know, like they they will get naturally. I think like attracts like. And if there's a community of people who are all rooting for each other, everybody has their up days, their down days, but generally all kind of in it. If there's somebody, and from a business example, if there's somebody at a mentorship circle who's really negative and like just not there for the same reasons they're going to have a shitty time everyone else is going to have a shitty time because of that person is that person going to return no so i think you keep your community clean by focusing on the good people 
it's less about pinpointing the bad because they will weed out naturally. If people give you a bad vibe, there's probably something a bit off and you don't have to like, I I think the whole like cancel thing is just eye roll. I, I don't know if you need to like be so blatant, like you are bad energy. I'm not inviting you into my circle of peace or whatever. I think just, you don't need to be a drama queen about it. I just think that you should probably not like text that person that much, (laughs) you know, like you can, you can, you can choose, um, you can be sophisticated in the way that you, um, manage your circle. I don't think it needs to be a big, um, palaver. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, what is your advice for people who maybe are starting from scratch or starting from zero? Like where do you have, cause I really do see community building as your secret sauce. Like you are a whiz. And so, you know, if, if you're starting from scratch, whether that's establishing a work community or a friend community, you know, what's your number one tip going in or like, what is it that you're seeing that maybe nobody else is really seeing as clearly as you are? I think you have to expect a lot of high touch. I'm kind of talking more because we we don't really look at building our friend circle in this, in this way. Um, So say from a business perspective, I think, you know, okay, real was really built from years of emailing people personally, you know, a lot of manual community building. Um, You know, we didn't use things like Facebook ads to join our community. It was literally me being like, hey, we would do an event. And I'd say, hey, I might do like a mental circle situation. Is that something you would want to do? And I would talk to people in the audience. Um, Well, how do you get that audience in the first place? I mean, okay, real, our newsletter subscriber list started out with me and my mom. So I think that acknowledging that, and then it might be, you know, I'd I'd interview somebody and I'd say, "Um, do you know anybody else who would love to read your interview or who I could interview as well? Um, would you be happy to put me in touch with them? So asking to be put in touch with people, no shame. I had no shame. I very, I was very humble in what I wanted and I didn't want to take up too much of other people's time. And I really focused on, if you can focus on how you can help that other person. Now, I couldn't offer a huge platform but I was able to curate these people's story. I'm a writer. So I was able to curate stories in a way that like really showcased who this person was. Um, and I just taught myself how to take photos. <laughs> so I would, ta- you know, I would try and get like this nice, I was like this kid, like wandering around New York with a camera um, and my iPhone recording them, but I would try and tell a really nice story about them. So if you can make people feel special, shining a great light on them saying, look, I don't know what I can offer you because you're some really powerful businesswoman, but I did speak with like the director of the MoMA last week. And I know that you're looking for an art part, anything that you have to offer up, offer it, always finish a conversation with how can I help you? And also in that initial stage of community building, whether it's a baking community, whether it's um, something in STEM, whether it's, um, you know, whatever niche kind of passion you have, really honoring the first early adopters, like the first four people, say, for example, who come to your sex workshop, how can you give them like the best time? And instead of, I think now community became really about numbers 
you know, Instagram wasn't really that big of a deal when I started on Real, and things became very um, quantifiable by way of metrics. But I think that that's where a lot of the magic is lost when you start looking over everybody's shoulders saying, who's next? I think the way that I've built community is to really look at the people who were sitting right in front of me. They're the ones, they're, they're your ambassadors. They're the people who are going to say, hey, I had a really epic time at this like random mentorship circle by this like Kiwi girl. And then slowly that built. And there's that really beautiful Maya Angelou quote, forget what you say, but they'll, re- or something, like, I'm butchering it, but they'll remember how you made them feel. That really reverberates in the way that you can build a successful community. If you can make people feel a certain way, feel valued, if you can help somebody, people always remember how you helped them. I love that. You know, particularly because in this digital age, it is such a numbers game. And I think we've put so much commodity behind like the numbers, literally the podcast downloads for the monetization, the Instagram or TikTok following for the paid sponsor sponsorship or whatever. And, and it's so, yes, that has a place, but I just love what you're saying where it's like, maybe can we have quality over quantity? Cause how many people, we all know them have like a huge following, but like at the end of the day, it's not a potent following, right? Like you can't quite measure potency in the same capacity. So, you know, it's interesting. And I think we're at an interesting inflection point where people or brands want both, where they're still like, oh, but it looks like you've got that, you know, they've got like a ton of Instagram followers. They're still kind of hungry for the numbers, but they also know that they don't mean as much as they did maybe five years ago. So there's a little more intelligent, like a little more savvy, there's a little more savvy around what people want. I think you've seen that as well. We've seen that in the rise of like micro influences where somebody might have 3000 followers, but they're 3000 really powerful people. Yeah. We're at an interesting point. And I think in terms of how brands want to build community that resonates there as well. And that brands still want the numbers because numbers still hold, hold um, apparent value, but they want to build an authentic community. And the only way to really do that is to put a lot of that hard work in upfront. I mean, I was reading how the Reddit founder, he would email people personally and in his signature, it's like CEO saying like, oh, your review or like your question on blah, 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 got the highest viewership in Reddit this week, like congratulations. Or he would just email all of these people personally. And Reddit was so hacky. I mean, if we're talking about digital community, all of the company uh, employees, everybody would just comment. And again, they like kind of synthesize that movement, that kind of like personal touch. People don't really do that anymore. Okay. So kind of wrapping up here, even though I could talk to you forever because I'm like, we're only scratching the surface of what like current community musings are, but we'll save that conversation for another time. You know, I, I would love to know what is currently on your bedside table at the moment? I'm looking at it. Should I? Okay, wait. I love when people fun. walk me over. It's so much fun. Okay. I have a water glass. I have a broken bracelet that my 11-month-old daughter ripped off my wrist this morning. I have, I've just been diving in the Great Barrier Reef. So I have a dive log here, for my dives. I have this wallet, which I don't even know what it is. Never been used. I have these are the books. Okay. I have 
The Girls by Emma Klein, A Lady of Not Asking Why by a poet called Courtney Camper, The Body Keeps the Score, Mind, Brain and Body and the Transformation of Trauma, <laughs> My Son's Plunkett Book, which is like a baby book that you keep medical records in, and then What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience and Healing. I can confirm I've read none of these books. Um, because I'm a mother of two children and I have this dinosaur <laughs> sticker covered. Um, this is like a great representation of my life. All of these books on trauma that I don't read, a poetry book, a kid's drawing and a broken bracelet. <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy you just walked me through that. And I got all the visuals. Sorry to everybody who can't watch this right now. <laughs> um, Okay, I want to do a quick rapid fire with you. Are you ready? Ooh, as I'll leave a bay. IRL or digital? IRL. Group chats or DMs? Group chats. Digital course or in-person mastermind? In-person. New York or New Zealand? Oh, no, that's the toughest. Um, New York for the career, New Zealand for the babies. Fair, fair enough. Um, podcast or music? Uh, music. Intimate dinner party or blowout event? Intimate dinner party. Night in or night out? Night out. <laughs> That's the New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a powerful chat. I feel like there's so many. We have the best chat. We have the best chat. We didn't even talk about sex. I thought you were going to ask me these raunchy questions and I was going to have to explain it to my partner, be like, <laughs> oh, I accidentally told somebody about that. That we time, did this. <laughs> but we never even got to it. So I'm off the hook. You're off the hook, but not for long because we'll, we'll just have you back and we'll just do like a much more raunchy, sexy episode. But it's funny because I was like, well, I've been there and done that with Amy. Like, on DM. We talk about sex all the time. We talk about sex all the time. And I think the last time we did an interview together, we talked about our wild sex capades. So <laughs> yeah, we've done that. <laughs> well, until next time, Tatiana, I love our conversations. I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. Yes. Tell us where we can connect with you more online and just like your work where can we go stalk you um the best place to find me is amidst the baby spam on my instagram which is at fr dot amy and okay real is in a bit of a i don't know it's in a bit of a flux transitionary phase right now we have a beautiful instagram with um lots of great content but it's not very regularly updated but you can check that out at hey okay real um, we also have a really lovely website that is, I don't know, part of me feels like it's more of a portfolio piece now, but that's okreal.co. And who knows? Well, I'm kind of like mentally preparing for the next version of whatever that is. So watch this space. Watch it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Tatiana. So much love to you. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. 
Thank you for listening. Yeah.